I am not going to bury my son. My son is going to bury me. John Q. Rewatchable coming up on the Scoop and Score podcast. Transplant surgery is very expensive. We got insurance. There are no provisions in your policy for a procedure of this magnitude. All right, you want money? I'll get you your money. We've recently switched carriers. We only give assistance to patients without coverage. I'm sorry, I can't help you. Have you tried Medicaid? No, you don't qualify. My son is dying. I'm broke. If I don't qualify, who the hell does? I've done everything I can do. I'm sorry. Please. They are releasing him. Now you need to do something. Hear me? Do something. Welcome to the Scoop and School Podcast. Do they worry you at all? Are you worried? You ridiculous What's happening, everybody? Welcome to the indefinite college football offseason. Hope everyone is healthy and staying safe. I'm doing all right myself, but I'm admittedly pretty concerned about whether we're going to have a college football season here in 2020. And, you know, starting to plan for the possibility that we might really need to stretch to find ways to stay entertained. I've already dusted off the old Xbox, including NCAA 08 with uh, Fiesta Bowl legend Jared Zabransky on the cover. But today, we're going to cover something that isn't related to college football at all. Aside from a loose Little League connection, this actually doesn't have anything to do with sports. But we've been dancing around this idea for a while, so what better timing than during a pandemic to rip off the formula of another podcast and analyze the movie John Q more closely than anyone ever has. And to help me out with that, I'm happy to introduce my two friends, Corey Shapiro and Peter Sarazen, thanks for joining, guys. Thanks for being. Thanks for uh, you know having this franchise. I'm always uh, excited to be here with you and Corey. Fun to be on the pod with you at last. Uh, I've had a couple appearances uh, as a guest call-in, uh, being you know Jerome from Queens, doing my best Jerome from Queens uh, impersonation. You're uh, Frances in that scenario, so I'm sorry to put that on you. But yeah, excited to be here. I, I had to cancel. A a few other Anne Heche podcasts that I had running, but uh, yeah, yours yours took priority, so good to be here. Yeah, Corey, hey Steve, you my hero. Oh, you know, <laughs> short, short, but equally sweet. I love it. Um, so we, the three of us, saw this movie together uh, with my mom during February break back in sixth grade. Um, and then Corey and I saw it again like a week later. Peter, were you there that when we went back a second time? <laughs> I don't think so. I'm laughing to myself because I, I remember seeing this very early, the three of us, but I did not remember that it was just the three of us and with your mom, nor did I remember that it was February What prompted break. us to go see it this was just, movie? It like, was, this, you know, we were all home. Dur- Washington movie? We were all home during February break, and it's like when you're 12 years old, like what do you do during that vacation? So we just went to a movie. This remains, I mean, as weird as it is, this remains the only movie in my life that I've ever seen twice in theaters. Yeah, same. I have not. I don't think. Are I've you seen serious? Yeah. When I mean, when am I going to see a movie twice in theaters? Okay, but Corey just said something interesting. He said twice in a weekend, which okay, I can understand that. It'd be weird to see. I, I'm laughing to myself again because I think I maybe did that with Little Women, but uh, <laughs> also I, great. I, I can't. The fact that you are as big of a movie person as you are, and you have only seen one movie twice in the theaters is mind-blowing to me. Yeah, I mean, it is It is wild. So released, as we kind of alluded to, released February 15th, 2002, shortly after your birthday, Peter. What a treat that must be for you to know that this came out 
so near your birthday. Early in the Bush administration, which is sort of uh, weirdly important for context for uh, Are we getting into politics for some here? things that we might get into <laughs> a little bit. Of course, starring Denzel Washington, uh, directed by Nick Cassavetes, um, Cassavetes, Cassavetes, Cassavetes. He, anyway, Cassavetes, he, uh, he also directed The Notebook and Alpha Dog. Have either of you seen Alpha Dog? Pretty good flick. I've not. Is that the one with Justin Timberlake? Yeah, and uh, yeah, it's a good movie. Yeah, and that guy, uh, that guy uh, Anton Yelich, the guy who passed away, unfortunately, the guy oh, that was yeah. in uh, Star Trek. Anyway, good flick. I uh, I, I recommend Alpha Dog for uh, for all the listeners out there. Um, Thirty six million dollar budget uh, makes a total of a hundred and two million dollars worldwide. A bona fide hit uh, in terms of uh, box office performance. Only a 23% on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, the consensus saying Washington's performance rises above the material, but John Q pounds the audience over the head with its message. Roger what did e- Ebert have to say? Roger Ebert uh, <laughs> says basically the same thing. One and a half out of four stars saying it's so earnest, so overwrought, and so wildly implausible that it begs to be parodied. No. Okay, can I can I can I jump in for well, one I just, quick I just want to po- I just want to quickly okay yeah jump in go ahead. Well, I just reading so you, you advised us to stay off of Rotten Tomatoes before this podcast, which I thought was fair. Let's watch the movie on its merits, clear eyes, you know, not uh, the impressionable young minds when the three of us went and saw it in theaters. So I watched it with my wife, and about thirty minutes into this movie, she was like, "This is the worst movie I've ever seen in my life." So that that really flows nicely. <laughs> and the question I wanted to ask is. A big let's big picture. Why do we love this movie? And then starting to <laughs> starting to try to answer it a little bit. Is it possible that exactly everything that's wrong with it is what kind of nailed our eleven and twelve year old minds that like we needed to be hit? Or we were like, oh my goodness, like the healthcare system is kind of is kind of tough on some people. Like I get it now. Is that very is forward that, thinking? You know, yeah. <laughs> we. I just why do we love this movie? Because it's. We were saying, we were saying, you know, oh, our friend group loves Superbad. A lot of people in the world love Superbad. I'm pretty confident that our friend group cares more about John Q than anyone else in the entire world. Okay, Corey, you go first because I have a very, I think, I think simple answer, but uh, you've hit on a lot of interesting things. Steve, I want to see what Corey's take on that. I think is. it's just a very fast-moving, high-intense movie that is just like very over the top to a point where it's almost comical when it's trying to be serious. And I think that makes it so enjoyable. And I think there's so many quotable lines from this movie mm. and quotable moments or we'll moments that you think back on that just make it so uh, memorable. I think that's why a lot of our friends really like it. Yeah, I think that's I think that's all part of it for sure. My very straightforward, simple answer was just going to be uh, that it is a just – really fun Denzel performance. So, and and (laughs) Corey and I have, I feel like spoken a lot about this. Like when Denzel just does his Denzel thing, it really doesn't matter what else is going on in the movie. Uh, And he does that. Like that's this entire movie. The first 40 minutes of remember the Titans. Right. Yeah. (laughs) That's his like ultimate like flex on what should maybe be not that good of a movie that just a good soundtrack and Denzel being, unbelievable makes Whoa. sorry maybe feel like i'm blowing steve's mind right now we maybe need to dive into <laughs> remember the titans at a later date but yeah the all of what Corey said i totally agree with it's fast-paced 
It's, um, you know, despite all the issues it has, it's fast paced, keeps you on the edge of your seat. And, and to me, the simple answer is just, and it's quotable, but the simple answer is just Denzel. It's Denzel. Denzel. It's Denzel. I mean, he's firing on all cylinders. I feel like if you mention this movie to a random person, they're going to have no idea what it is. It could be viewed as a throwaway role. Would it shock you to know this is his first movie after training day? That is shocking. The man man won Best Actor and then did this immediately after. (laughs) I mean, and and it's not to make fun of him. He's great. It's just such a random movie. But there's a lot of really high-profile actors in this movie, too. Yes, there are. Just staying on Denzel for one second, the stretch that he goes on from 98 to 2004, he got game, the siege, the Bone Collector, the Hurricane, Remember the Titans, Training Day, John Q. Uh, that's through 2002. And then we've got after, we've got Antoine Fisher, which is his uh, directorial debut. I've never seen it. Pretty good reviews. I, I'm a fan. Okay. I like Antoine Fisher quite a bit. It's it's very much like a, uh, sorry, I feel like I just derailed your Denzel no, timeline. but good movie. Antoine, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's good. It's kind of like an ordinary people. No, it's that's Bobby Pete and Bobby Fisher. Uh, <laughs> Find searching searching is. for Bobby Fisher. Searching, yeah, searching for Bobby. Is he Fisher. even in that? I don't think so. I don't think so either. <laughs> oh. Antoine Fisher is basically like very much like ordinary people are good while hunting. It's like about he directs and plays a therapist, and uh, Derek Luke, I think, is the actor's name. He plays Booby Miles in Friday Night Lights yeah. too. He plays like kind of a um, troubled young. Uh, 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 I think he's in the Navy in the movie and um, just kind of searching through. So, yeah, it's an interesting movie. And I think Denzel's good in it. Derek Luke is very good. And it's, it's an interesting movie. I like it. Yeah, quite then, a bit. He, then he's got out of time, which I actually have here on DVD and actually stinks, I think, but uh, then man on fire and the Manchurian candidate, which wasn't great, but is, is something, I mean, that's like, and then you look through his whole career. He has like four stretches just like that. And that's something that, I mean, that's a seven year run with, one like 11 legitimate movies and five performances that would be like career defining for a lot of actors i guess i i this is going to be we're not preaching i we are preaching in the choir just because the whole world is right he's unbelievable so part of what i part of when i answered earlier that it's denzel being denzel i also think that when you have a great actor kind of carrying a bad movie i think it puts it into like it frames it a little bit differently i'm trying to think of other examples but the fact that the rest of the movie and Corey made an interesting point too there's like all these and i guess we'll get to this but it's a loaded cast yeah. and it's just for a poorly written movie i mean it's just not there's a lot of and issues they all with come like at the different plot times and have their like time to shine yeah, no, the none of the... Yoda doesn't even come in until, like, the last third of the movie. Save it. Save it. But, uh, but uh, I just... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sorry. Okay. No, you're, you're all... You're, you're both... None of, the, none of the characters are very developed, but if we even just look at John Q's character, even he's very poorly developed from, like, the very, like, quick shots of him in, uh, like, the plant that he's working in. You get the picture of, like, what kind of... Uh, you know what 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 picture they're trying to I paint mean, the very but... first the movie truly besides the true opening which we will get into then it cuts to john q and it immediately goes to he and his wife lying in bed watching a speech where the president is talking about how hard it is for most americans to pay their bills cut immediately in the first like 35 seconds to his <laughs> car being repossessed it's just this is not a movie that deals in subtlety 
Um, yeah, that that scene is pretty great. Um, yeah, I I, now, I agree. Now, I think the but don't, I don't know. I want to hear what your thoughts are, Steve. Don't you think there's something to the fact of like a, a poorly? I mean, I don't want to call this a bad movie because it's so near well, and your you're, hearts. You're but, getting there, which is interesting. This could become a two on one type of situation. You might be too colored by this viewing with your wife. Yeah, I mean, gosh, she's she's. She's the opinion maker in our household, it appears. But that aside, don't you think there's something to the idea of a, like, you named all of those Denzel movies. I haven't seen all of them, but I've seen a lot of them. There are varying degrees of, like, average to excellent, I would say. And John Q, I I like as a movie for all the reasons we've spoken about. But there are some real major issues with this movie. And the fact that... Denzel is so fun in it. I feel like is a, a real thing. And I'm trying to think of other, I don't know. Do you have any other, uh, you know, actors that have like acted above the movie that they're in that I feel like that's a big part of why I like it so much. I mean, I, the first thing that comes to mind when you say that is the terminal with Tom Hanks is a movie where he's acting above the movie. Um, boy, it's a good call. I haven't um, seen that movie, but just knowing what the premise of it is and the movie who's in it, that's yeah. The recruit with Colin Farrell and Al Pacino, just kind of, I don't know what that movie is about, but they're really good. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's, I mean, Denzel's the best there is. I think, you know, I think we're going to be able to get through a lot of our thoughts, um, getting into the categories. Corey, did you have anything you wanted to add before we, uh, before we dive into the categories here? I was going to, pose a question so you, you saying that denzel run reminded me of uh the hanks run the 90s since there's too much jordan lebron talk right now with the last dance on who we got hanks or or denzel boy i need three or four more podcasts to answer that question <laughs> <laughs> the interesting thing about both of them so think about your answer steve the interesting thing about both of them is that they have near, like they they have their approval rating among Americans is incredibly high. They're both very well liked in slightly different ways, I would say. But um, Hanks is viewed more as like America's like he's like trusted by the American public. I feel like not that Denzel isn't, but and Denzel is just like viewed as you know, our A plus plus star that we've had for so long. And, and Hanks is too, but Hanks has something of like the everyman yeah. American sweetheart kind of quality. Uh, and, and Denzel has more like controversial, interesting characters. Um, so you're talking about LeBron and Jordan, right? <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, yeah. I mean, I think similar to what Peter was kind of getting at colors, my answer. I think if, you know, if I were to pick a performance, um, you know, it would probably be Denzel in terms of just blowing me away, but big picture, probably Hanks just cause he does more stuff. He does comedy. He, you know, Castaway is obviously like a one man, you know, wrecking crew. And then even as recently as Captain Phillips, I just think of like the last, uh, the last like couple minutes of that movie when all of a sudden he's re- spoiler alert, um, when Captain Phillips is rescued and kind of realizes what he just went through and starts like crying. It's like, wow, that's like a. Yeah. That's a new level Hanks for Hanks. A lot of, Hanks definitely has a, a lot more range, I feel like. But Denzel, when he uh, gets into his groove and is in his element, there's no there's no one better. Yeah. So with that, let's get to the categories. Um, let's start with the most rewatchable scene. Um, we've got 
here's and feel free to add in anything that you think I might have missed. But uh, the beginning of the hostage situation where, you know, he grabs uh, grabs the doctor, James Woods, and just says, all right, it's on and music. The music, it's like at like the 36 minute mark of this movie, there's like a very loud musical cue. And it's like, okay, this movie has changed. Um, (laughs) The first time Frank, uh, you know, the hostage negotiator played by Robert Duvall calls and they, you know, they start to feel each other out. Um, You've got the, uh, when they go and get all the food from the vending machine and have the discussion about HMOs. Um, You've got a fourth one here is when uh, they decide to let some of the hostages go and Mitch attacks Denzel. Um, Five, you've got uh, the assassination attempt. And uh, six, you've got when Denzel walks out with the sniper and everyone's kind of like cheering for him at this point. And the last one I have is when he uh, convinces when Denzel convinces James Woods uh, to take his heart and operate, um, and and also kind of if you want to combine with that the drama of the new heart arriving. So what do you guys think? Anything else that I missed? Um, I mean, I think it's pretty easy. I think the most rewatchable scene is the sniper scene. It just has the that's when Denzel does his really most Denzel moment. Um, when you you know I we'll get into the best quotes I guess later, but he goes, "I'm not going to bury my son. My son's going to bury me." I mean, that's just like that's the line from the movie. I think that just kind of puts everything. Well, in that's sort of. I'm not going to bury my son. Is that is that with the sniper? I believe so. I I think. Okay, I mean that might be when he walks out with the sniper, but I, I yes, I, yes. Okay, yes. so that's what we're saying—not the assassination attempt, but when he no, walks not out. no after 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 the assassination attempt. Now, one thing, and, and it happens every single time I watch this movie in that scene, and he's got the sniper, you know, like taped to him, essentially. And You're talking about when he walks outside of the hospital, correct? Cor- correct. And he's got his gun like around the sniper's shoulder, and the sniper is doing more acting with his face than anyone <laughs> yes. I've ever seen. He's like. It's, I mean, the guy just fell through a ceiling. He's, you know, he's, he's it's tough. like It's like distracting to the point where, like, I always think he's going to go for the gun. I've seen this movie, like, 30 times. I still think he's going to, like, go for the gun the way he's, like, watching it so intently. But then I think it's just, you know, no no small parts, only small actors. This guy knew, I'm just going to, I'm a trained, you know, Navy SEAL. And if there's a man holding a gun over my shoulder, I'm keeping my eyes on that gun at all times. It's an incredible performance. People, oh, what did you, you think? think that's, you think that's Apex Mountain for the uh, <laughs> that guy? For the it's sniper. certainly that guy's Apex Mountain. What uh, what scene for you, Pete? I think uh, it's tough. I mean, I'm I'm tempted. I have to at least throw the uh, this one in the. This is I definitely don't think this is most uh, rewatchable scene. But when Grimes and uh, forgive me, I don't remember Leota's character. But when they are like arguing in the basement, that's such a like. Uh, these two need a scene together. We need to like create conflict scene. I always enjoy that part. I think the most rewatchable scene is when Denzel flips James Woods and basically convinces him. I think it was the last one you mentioned earlier. And he basically, uh, you know, he's, he's trying to convince James Woods that if he kills himself, that he needs to use his heart for his son. And that part's really interesting. There's, so I think we should talk at some point a little bit about like, who's a bad guy in this movie because there are a lot of characters that flip back and forth. The answer is James think, Woods being I think one the answer of them. is most of them. But most but, of them are bad. But, but I think I think that is a good topic. That is something when we start to talk more about the characters, I think that is a good idea. 
One thing about your scene, I'm glad that you picked the scenes that you picked because there are small nuggets in each of your scenes that I love. <laughs> in the scene that you picked, okay, everyone's like, yo, no, we're not going to do it. You can't kill yourself. Denzel puts the gun to his temple. I know. I already know what you're going to say. Everyone's and everyone's like, no, amazing. no, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. Then he's like, then he puts the gun in his mouth and they're all like, oh no, oh no. And it's like, somehow <laughs> that's worse. And then he turns the gun sideways in his mouth. And then it's just like, okay, now he means business. We need to agree to, what, what is, why are the power rankings of gun to temple, gun in mouth, gun sideways in mouth? Why are <laughs> well, those? I, well, well, I was just going to say, I mean, based on what you said about the sniper, is this like the movie that has the best gun acting of all time in it? It's really, <laughs> yeah, they must've, you have to imagine they had a consultant on the, on, on, on uh, set, as they would say. Right. I don't know, I guess going through the front is better than going through the side door. I, I don't really know yeah, what the logic very is Very suspect that. logic there, Shep. I got Edward Norton, another spoiler alert, but Edward Norton in Fight Club shot himself in the mouth, and he, he was fine. So, if anything, it seems like a less risky proposition <laughs> that's, that's true. to me. Um, All right, Steve, what's what's your most uh I like the discussion of HMOs uh, when they're just eating uh, eating some of the uh, the vending machine food and just kind of discussing everything that's wrong. You've got all of the characters. You know, you got Eddie Griffin coming in saying more like the Hippocratic Oath, and or no, sorry, more like the Hippocritical Oath. It is the Hippocratic Oath. Um, you've got E just fully flexing on that scene, and we'll we'll talk more about E as uh, as the doctor who's oh boy. just the biggest nerd. Um, but yeah, I mean, we got, there are three good answers. I am not going to pull the card where I just pull rank. This is, listen, they're all winners. All three of those will win uh, most rewatchable scene. And, uh, and we can move forward. Big of you. Um, what's age the best? Um, we got healthcare as a general topic. Obviously, you know, an important thing uh, in this election cycle. Um, all of the conversation about gun laws, you know, you've got uh, James Wood just saying you can, anyone can just go into a Walmart and buy a gun. I mean that, you know, certainly uh, still prevalent today. Uh, number three, you mentioned it, Pete, Leota versus Duval. You've got Goodfellas versus the Godfather and you just got two <laughs> heavyweights absolutely slugging it out. Uh, four, a little bit of the same, but the cast in general, I mean, it's, it's loaded and it's, it's gonna it's gonna come into that guys where some of these guys are too good to be that guys, but also yeah, like you said, you know Duval shows up like thirty five percent into the movie. Ray Liotta shows up like seventy percent into the movie. You've got Anne like Hayes, you've yeah, got James Woods, you've got Denzel. This is like it reminds me of you see so many of these on Twitter right now because we're all so bored or Instagram or whatever. The build your best roster with fifteen dollars. It's like this movie did that, but did the absolute best job of like, you got your $5 guy in Denzel, you got a couple $3 players with Duval and Leota, nice $2 piece with Anne Heche, and then you just picked all of the best $1 pieces to fill out this cast. It's unbelievable. Um, sorry, I did a but whole... Kevin Connolly is not one of those... <laughs> Probably not. Pieces, I right? might have tipped my hand on <laughs> on what, what age... I went a little too deep there. Um... And then the last, oh no, not the last thing. Uh, we've got uh, the Mack truck hat. Um, we've got uh, the fact that the book, The Submarine Pitch by Matt Christopher is featured briefly in this movie. And uh, the last thing, that uh, blood pressure number that like they say can't dip below 60 or what, 70, can't dip below, below 70. Below 70, I think. It's yeah. like, a, it's kind of like, it reminds me of the movie Speed. You know, it's nice for the, for the layman to have like a concrete number 
um, that they can go back to. And it's always ominous when they show it like ticked down by a number. Um, so do you guys have anything else that you want to add or do you just want to pick one of those? I think this movie was very forward thinking and it's discussion of hot topic political issues. It's pretty crazy. And I'm sure those issues were prevalent when this movie came out and we were a lot younger. We just didn't really realize them, but um, so many of the things that they discuss in this movie are really still issues now that people are still debating. And um, I think it was ahead of its time in some of its uh, discussions about that. So you're combining one and two a little bit with the healthcare, with the gun. Now, does it impact it at all that they are the most rudimentary conversations about these topics that you could ever write? Yeah, I mean the writing the writing is not the best in this movie, but they but they're trying to make it a layman's terms discussion that makes it understandable for everyone and kinda of keep the pace moving and not really uh get too deep like the character development I think is very similar in the way it's written. I wonder if the fact that it is rather surface level and it's I, I agree with Corey, I actually think it is uh kind of interesting looking back and we're still discussing some of the issues that they brought to light then. But I think the fact that it's so uh, surface level is kind of hits on what you said, Steve, maybe the 12 year old us, it it really resonated with us because it was very simple in its uh, discussion of complicated topics. Um, What's your, yeah. So, so yeah, for, for me, what's age the best the cast is hard to compete with. I honestly, I don't know uh, if we're going to get a chance to talk about her later or not, but his wife, Kimberly Elise, I thought was very good in the movie. And they actually, a, a lot of things don't come off as um, very genuine. A lot of performances are really good, but they're a little bit like um, over the top. And I thought her and John Q's, uh, her and Denzel's relationship in the movie seemed somewhat uh you know genuine and realistic and and uh you know she was an interesting character the way she said you know actually we didn't even bring this up from the most watchable uh rewatchable scene but the do something scene which like very powerful and she's very convincing in her role so i i think her performance is great but i would say the cast in general it's it's weird to say because it's such a loaded cast um but i think that's so you know is that what makes it uh, great? I don't know, but I think it's fun going back to a movie that has so many uh, recognizable faces and in, in, in fun roles. I'm with you, and as you mentioned the the actress that plays the wife, Denzel must have agreed with you just about the chemistry in general and just her performance. He, he brought her then. You have to imagine he had something to do with her then being cast in The Manchurian Candidate uh, a couple years later. So certainly uh, you, and, you and Denzel uh, definitely have an eye for talent moving to what's aged the worst uh the first one is i think pretty glaring uh you've got a man who took a group of hospital workers and patients hostage being treated as a hero um you've got the relationship between mitch and julie um is kind of played for laughs and also we're eventually supposed to all kind of come around on mitch being an okay guy um, the fact, despite the fact that there's like clear domestic violence going on there, um, James Woods, just as a, a person, and I don't want to get too deep into some of, you know, his current political leanings and things like that, but he's got an interesting Twitter presence to say the least, um, for HMOs, just not, not good for HMOs. And, uh, and five, 
the choice to open with the car crash out of context and then kind of keep going back to it um, every once in a while, th that general storytelling device. Uh, what do you guys think? Pete? That doesn't... It's interesting you mentioned the opening scene. I, I am somebody that uh, very often does not... Um, remember things in movies. I'm very in the moment in the scene. I don't think about what else is, has happened in the past unless it's very clear that uh, the director wants you to think of it. So that's not something that it's not like I, I uh, you know, my wife immediately was like, oh, that that scene's going to it's her heart, isn't it? And I was like, <laughs> oh, yes, actually. But <laughs> I've seen this movie like dozens of times and I, I'm still not even thinking about that part. Um, I, I think what's aged the worst has to be the the overall fact that he is viewed as a hero and uh, he, he took an entire emergency room hostage. Um, in in that, if I can go on a couple in a couple tangents, it's very odd how. So a few things. First of all, when he first takes James Woods kind of hostage and and he realizes he's going to do what he's going to do, it's kind of jarring because he, you don't even know that this is a man that owns a gun before that scene. And it's just very odd that he goes to that extreme right away, obviously. Uh, the we, jump in we, intensity is met with the hard cue in the music. Yeah, it, it, yes, and, and it, yes, absolutely. And I laughed at that before, Steve, because I, I actually said to my wife when we were watching this that, uh, oh, the movie just the movie just started. Yeah. You know, yeah. at that 36 minute and, and, mark. And that's the first rewatchable scene. There's no coincidence about the fact that there were no rewatchable scenes before that moment. There's just, it's right. kind of a lot of nothing. Yeah. I, I, I'll keep it brief. I think just the mere fact that, uh, it's a movie where he's lauded as a hero almost immediately. You know, <laughs> it, it doesn't take very long. He, he's helping people out in the ER and right away you're like this, you know, he probably yeah. does a better job running an ER than most trained, uh, professionals he do. like and, he and speaks broken well spanish developed. and everyone's like oh this guy's this guy's pretty good he's like oh he's <laughs> not treating the pregnant woman horribly he must be an okay guy Corey, right. Corey, yeah. what do you think i think the plan itself has aged the worst i think just like there's so many loop like loopholes and there's so many holes in his, his plan that just wouldn't make sense and would be so illogical to overcome like how does locking up one small room in the hospital not enable people to get into the whole to the room? It's a major hospital. It's big. Like I don't know. It's just a lot of uh, what he does just seems crazy. I have a lot of questions about the layout of the hospital, um, <laughs> and it's I I don't suspect that he had like blueprint. This this is coming up in another category, but we might as well at least touch on it now. There's like. His, so we've got the do something speech from his wife and hey, within, which one there's like there's well the, there's the so three, many people telling other people to do well, something sure and but the actual the actual on the phone they're releasing him john do something uh the first With, okay, within yeah. a half hour he has these chains he has this gun and he has started his hostage situation what kind of prep happened i assume that he had to drive to the, I mean, that was probably like an 18-minute drive. He didn't plan for a lot. I think that that's, I think that's well thought. I'm glad that Peter um, went with the fact that we are celebrating a hostage shaker because I think that's important to get on the record as the official stance of this podcast. With that out of the way, I'm going to take the decision to do 
the woman driving the car the way they did it. Watching this, it really stuck out to me as this doesn't make any sense. They So it opens with like this three minutes of like, sure, it's like an artsy way, I guess, to open the movie. And you're kind of setting the stage. Um, I guess by having her like pass a bunch of drivers on the road, we're supposed to like not feel bad for this woman because she had it coming for the way she was driving. They go back to it a second time later on. And they just like kind of show more of the crash, but like you don't learn any new information. It's not until the third time they go back to it that you see that she has the organ donor bracelet. And the thing about that is like, okay, interesting little plot device twist. Like you showed us this, you know, first person in the movie. Great. You got us. Was, was this, was the reason that Mike didn't get a heart ever going to be because there was not one available? Like, was that ever the drama in the movie? No, and for that, we didn't need this nonsense. We just, it was nonsense. I think that's a great point because what you just, I, I wasn't with you until the very end. It's not like the, what you just said is, is I totally agree. It's not like the reason he wasn't going to get a heart is because there wasn't one available. That, that theme has literally no role to play in the development of the plot at all. It's, it's, you know, it, they talk all about how HMOs are bad and how the healthcare system is, you know, um, uh, doesn't support people the way it should and all of that. And like that one part, it doesn't drive the plot forward at all. So I, I agree with you on that. I feel like that's such a strategy that a lot of like 90s movies and early 2000s movies use just like a random scene in the beginning. I can't think of a specific example, but just like the way that scene is like shot and filmed it just very has a very 90s feel uncut gems (laughs) (laughs) and with no evidence whatsoever i would venture to guess that like they had this movie written and they're like what if we just kind of shoehorn this like where does the heart someone probably threw the note in like where does the heart come from like ooh, okay we can do we can do a couple scenes where we're just kind of hinting at it and yeah it adds nothing but, uh, Have you ever seen anybody in your life that actually has an organ donor bracelet on? Maybe that's maybe that's just we're dating or you know it's, it's a dated movie that, at this point because it's on your license or something. But yeah, that's a good that's a good question. I'm not often looking for it. Um, but who knows? Maybe if I was in the position of John Quincy Archibald, I would have been scoping out these people. Yeah, and, you'd have your eyes peeled. Yeah. yeah. Um, casting what ifs? I could only find one. I have no idea if it's true. Um, but it is appropriate given a question that was asked earlier in the podcast. Tom Hanks was considered for the lead role. What do you guys think? What? I'm shocked by that. It can't be true. It can't possibly be true. This is just a completely different movie with Hanks in it. Like, I don't know if Hanks would ever get to those. He could not. He could not. It wouldn't work at all. Okay, but can I push back on that slightly? Because there's the first 30 minutes of this movie, we just said how crazy it is that he had a gun and chains ready. They don't develop Denzel as, like, the Denzel badass character at all. I think we're relying on our knowledge of him as a movie star to get us there. When Once we, like, you know, once the audience is like, oh, he's taking the ER room hostage, it's easy for us to say, oh, well, it's Denzel, so that kind of makes sense because he would play this role. They don't really develop that at all. We have no idea this is the guy that would own a gun, even recreationally. We have no idea this is the kind of guy that would have this sort of, um, like, I don't want to use the word anger, but sort of, um, you know, angst, inner angst over the system that he's, you know, that he could do this sort of thing with. So I actually, 
you know, it would definitely be a different movie. It's, it's a wild what if that is, it has to be untrue, but um, you know, parts of it I could see as being a little bit more believable. I think certainly the beginning and his transition into doing something that he's not as comfortable with, because I don't think, um, I don't think Denzel is somebody that his character in this movie is like super comfortable in that role. And they go through great lengths early on in the movie showing him as, or, or trying to show him as a guy that's not always on top of things. He talked about his car getting repoed. Um, he seems like a guy that I don't want to call him a slacker. He seems like a hardworking guy, blue collar guy, but um, his wife seems to be frustrated with him at times. Um, I, I could see Hanks playing that sort of every man uh, that Denzel was trying to do early on in the movie. Even physically, though, I mean, Hanks is like so gang. I'm like specifically just thinking of the scene where he like rips the guy down from the ceiling and just punches him like six times in the face. Hanks can't punch a guy. When it becomes an action movie, that part becomes a lot harder for Hanks. I agree. Yeah, is there another like role where Hanks like prominently has a gun throughout the movie? There's besides Toy Story. <laughs> good, good nice. <laughs> um, in uh, in this movie Cloud Atlas, which boy is that movie something that I don't recommend uh, unless you're stranded in Oklahoma due to a hurricane and just need to blow like three and a half hours. In one of the storylines, he plays this like gangster. And he was kind of menacing. That's the only like violent Hanks I can think of. Well, he's been in Road to Perdition. He's supposed to oh, be a hitman, isn't he? Yeah, but he's like a hitman with a heart of gold. But I guess that's what John Q is. He's a hostage taker with a heart of gold. Right. Yeah. All right. I guess I can I, buy I, it. It wouldn't work. I, it, it wouldn't work as well. And and the thing is, this does become like a little bit of an action movie as soon as he's you know gets the gun and the chains out. And that part Hanks would would not make as much sense in his Denzel. All right, the best of that guy, a.k.a. the Joey Pants Award. Now, we're going to be a little bit loose with that, guys, because some of these people might be more than that, guys, but it's still such an impressive list. I've got to run through it all. We've got Kevin Connolly, obviously just known as E from Entourage. Maybe can't be that guy because we would just call him E. Um, Ethan Suplay, Ethan Supley, Supley. Um, you know, the, the overweight security guard, uh, remember the Titans, boy meets world. My name is Earl. And just, uh, for point of reference, that guy is super jacked now. Um, if you Google image him, it's, uh, it's amazing. Quite Wait, a going back thing. to Kevin Connolly for a second. Did this come before or after Entourage started? I wasn't on tr- board with Entourage when it's, I would think before. I would guess I would think before. before by about I would think, four or five years. I, I thought Entourage but... started in like 04 or 05, if I had to guess. Corey, I'm yeah, going to put you on right. that while I continue to read off the list. I will go check it out. You check that. Um, Sean Hattasey, Hattosi. Again, I didn't look in uh, pronunciations here. That's the guy that plays Mitch. Uh, he was also in The Faculty, which is a kind of fun movie. And now he's in a bunch of TV shows on TNT. Uh, we've got Troy Wimbush, who plays The Expecting Father. Uh, he's the running back from the replacements uh, that blows out his knee, scoring that touchdown. Um, Oba Babatunde. Uh, he is one of like the SWAT officers. Um, he is he plays Gordy Berry in an episode of The Fresh Prince of Bel Air um, when Will is trying to get. Uh, um, help me out here. Not Hillary. The other one. Uh, Ashley. Ashley. When when Will is trying to get Ashley's uh, demo uh, to Gordy Berry, this guy plays Gordy Berry. He's also the uh, principal from Dawson's Creek and also the dean in How High. So clearly uh, got a little bit uh, typecast as like a principal type figure. 
And then uh, on to the movie education system. <laughs> the last one I have listed here, Philip Williams, who played Wally Petoniak, uh, the head of security. He's also in Tommy Boy as like one of the factory workers and is also the head custodian in Goodwill Hunting when he says, oh, you know, Dr. Whatever, meet Dr. <laughs> Him. Um, so that's a, that's a pretty good list there. Were there any other that guys uh, that stood out to you? Going back to Connolly for a second. So Entourage started in 2004, so this was his first role. Okay. Um, before that, before that, or it happened before that. So, um, so he wasn't he yet. I don't know. He, he, um, I don't think there's any other ones. I would say, uh, can we talk about Connolly again for a second? Because <laughs> yeah, sure. no, he's so, he is just so bizarre in this movie. He just makes so many E-like decisions and just acts with the same mannerisms as E. It's just like, it, it bothered me so much. He is, boy. We're going to we're going to maybe touch the third rail here, but that's what good podcasting is. He is the mouthpiece for. I'm just going to say it, the bleeding heart liberal that just wasn't going to be OK with anything about the healthcare system in this movie. And that's really the role he plays. And he plays it again because he's playing it in such an unsophisticated movie. He plays it like such an annoying dweeb. Yeah, he's so dweeby. I don't know why. Both those roles have so many have so many similarities and just his dweebiness. <laughs> I think I, I I mean I can think of one connection between the two roles, and that's the fact that Kevin Connolly is the guy playing them. <laughs> is who but Corey, who is your pick for uh the best that guy? Gotta go with Ethan Supley. I think he's uh I think he's so great in his little moments here, um in the movie and I don't know he's always a lovable character, even when he's uh, when he's not, you know, as involved as he has been in other roles. I just think he's a great actor. What do you got, Pete? Um, Supley is certainly a great call. His Remember the Titans uh, character is a fun one. I like Sean Hatosi uh, quite a bit in this movie. He's so hateable immediately. <laughs> um, you just you hate everything about him. He's got the douchey clothes he's like wearing all black with like his buttons all undone in the front with a chain he's like just uh you know he, he's just screams douchebag the, the entire uh movie which is which is fun um you you don't like him like you mentioned it earlier steve you know he he's clearly not supposed to be a likable character but i i suppose for some uh you know, reason they wanted to make him redeemable towards the end. So they, they soften his character a little bit as the movie goes. Um, I also, have you ever seen the movie outside Providence, Steve? I have not. Or Corey? At no, I've not. I highly recommend it. It's a good one. It's I'm with it um, Alec Baldwin. Um, yeah, it's kind of a coming of age movie, but it's, it's a good one. He's in that movie too. Um, but yeah, I, I think he's very effective uh, as a, that guy just, the best that guys, you know exactly where they stand when they're where they when they come on stage. If you're going to like them or if you're not, and he is right off the bat super unlikable. So he's, his performance was a fun one for me. I'm going to go with Philip Williams, the guy that plays Wally Petoniak, most partly because Wally Petoniak's a great name, and just his small roles in in both Tommy Boy and Goodwill Hunting are just it's exactly what being a that guy is all about to me. So. uh so that's my pick. Going to the overarching award. Sorry. Oh, sorry go ahead. If I interrupt you. Yeah. Did you mention uh, the guy who played Tuck Lampley, the news reporter? No. What else? What else is he in? 
He was he was in someone in Mad Men, I think. Let me uh, let me check. Yeah, I didn't. Uh, I, I I didn't get through. I I stopped after two seasons of Mad Men. Oh really? Uh, wait, let me see. He... Name's Paul Johansson. We don't do a lot of editing. Yeah, on he this plays podcast. he plays Ferg Donnelly. It's like a it's like a another character on Mad Men. It's okay. not. It's like a similar type of like. Not an important role. He's in a few episodes, but okay, no, that is worth time. that is worth uh, noting. It's you know, it's certainly an important character, um, and uh, and yeah, don't worry, we will definitely be talking about Tuck um, in a second. The overacting award. Let's uh, immediately go back to E. Uh, the first candidate I have is, and I actually only have two candidates. We've got E when he's uh, you know during that HMO discussion and he's yelling about the system. I'm using air quotes here. Um, one of his quotes, he, all of these different things are, are things that, uh, he says, he, uh, he says at one point refers to the big boys in accounting, which is always just a good opportunity. If you know, someone is doing an overacting, uh, soliloquy, if they mention the big boys in accounting. Um, and when James Woods then later says, that's not how it works. He yells back. That's exactly how it works. And he points <laughs> at him. Um, so that is the first candidate. The second candidate, um, Ray Liotta, in that like underground or where you know parking structure scene, going back and forth with Duval, and Liotta gets worked up and he gets uh, he gets to, I can live with one dead bad guy, but not one innocent person being hurt. Not on my watch. And uh, and really uh, really screams it on that one. Are there any other examples you two could think of? Uh, I, I think many much. I think much of the movie involves. Uh, <laughs> Some overacting. That, yeah, maybe that's why it's hard to pick things out because it's <laughs> sure. all it's all up at a nine. No, you 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 took my number one choice with uh, Ray Liotta. I mean, as much as he's just an absolute boss, uh, career wise in this movie, his character is very confusing. The relationship with him and Robert <laughs> Duvall is just so odd to me. They like clearly don't like each other at first, and they're setting up some sort of like rivalry kind of with them. Liotta's got the big job as the up. younger, smooth talker. Duval is the older guy that seems to be more principled in some way, but then they later on, like they seem to be friendlier than you think they are. I'm just very confused by their relationship. Leota only has like 20 lines of dialogue and like four of them are making fun of Robert Duval's age. And it's just like, <laughs> right. can get at one point he even walks over to the other group and he says something along the lines of like old man can't find his depends. And it's just an odd line. And then made even weirder by the fact that, Fast forward 15 years and Robert Duvall is in a movie called The Judge where he does poop himself in a very strange, uh, <laughs> a very strange movie making decision. So that's uh, that's an interesting fact. Sheps, what did you think uh, for uh, for the overacting award? I mean, can we give it to Denzel? He's overacting for like 90 percent of the movie, but in a good way. And I think like his overacting definitely helps make this movie so great. I think that's part of the reason why it's so good, as I mentioned in the beginning of this podcast. What's, what would you what would you highlight as the number one example? Because now I want to know if I think that it's overacting or if I think it's just rising to the necessary level. I mean, I think the the, the sniper scene, when he's bringing the sniper out, he does a whole speech. Like he, he goes so over top, and that's what he's he does. He's a man with a son lying his... up in a hospital bed. What's up? He's got a son lying in a hospital bed and needs a new heart. No, I know he's got a he's got a he's got a <laughs> he's he's got to get the his kid a heart. But you know, I mean, 
I don't know. It just, it just, his level of craziness go, like spikes so high to levels I have not seen in many other movies, and it just, it's overacting, but in the best way possible, and that's why this movie's so great. So you're going. Yeah, I, I agree with Corey on this. I am so glad that you had the courage to put Denzel up for this award. The fact that so a couple of things, uh, Steve, you mentioned earlier his his gun acting. That's a little bit of overacting. I like it quite a bit, but it's it's you know when he goes from the side of the head to his mouth and then twisting it, and it's all like a device to get like a the audience a sense of uh, rising. Um, dramatics is is fun but the the real thing for me the tip off of of denzel with the overacting award and maybe this is i don't know if this is um opposing my stance or not but the early part of the movie he's he does not seem as natural to me and then as soon as he takes james woods he becomes like this on fire action hero guy and to me it's just like it it's maybe that maybe I'm arguing against myself because the first 30 minutes of the movie, I, I don't really buy his character well, that much. It, I almost, as soon as he gets the gun, I'm almost like, Oh, here we go. In the first half hour, he's forced to play like a meek and vulnerable right. guy, which is just not right. what we're used to seeing from Denzel. I got to listen. I guess I'll let you nominate him. I'm going to pull, I'm pulling rank here. I'm not going to let him win the award. I think that's, that's heresy. And, uh, I will, uh, I am going to be giving the award to Ray Liotta. Um, the Dion Waiters Award um, for the Heat Check performance. This is, I think, the most hotly contested award. I, of let's get into the it. Entire movie. I see three candidates. Let me know if you want me to add one. But we've got Tuck Lampley, we've got Eddie Griffin, and we've got John's friend Jimmy Palumbo. Um, are there any others than those three that you want to nominate? Can you can you just real quick set the stage once more for what? Uh, make somebody a Dion Waiters award is it, it's got to be a low usage, high impact player. Just right? yeah, not a lot of screen time, not a lot of uh, dialogue, but just really leaves an impact uh, on the game and on the movie itself. For me, Eddie Griffin is just was the is like not only just in this movie, but one of the all time uh, uh, Dion Waiters award winners. Um, you know. You, my hero, is probably one of the most quoted lines that any of us have ever said uh, from a movie in, in everyday life. And it's maybe <laughs> the most ridiculous line. <laughs> it's so it's so absurd, his delivery. Um, his delivery is absurd. The timing is absurd. The fact that he gets that line at the end of the movie yeah. as if he's a major player <laughs> is very absurd. It's like 14th um, on the call sheet at best. <laughs> right. Yeah, I, I, I do like, you know, honorable mention, as you said, to... Uh, John's friend. I like the couple that is kind of, you know, goes to the little league. By the way, I need to. I if need you're to, not, if you're not giving it to Jimmy Palumbo, you got to lay off Jimmy Palumbo because I'm laying off. I'm laying off Jimmy Palumbo. Can I just have another note here? It I, better be what, I, okay. I, it's not about Jimmy Palumbo. Okay, okay. I made I made a few notes. Very few as I was watching this. The little league game is hilarious to me. So many parents have the jersey of the little league team that is playing and it just was really cracking me up okay i'll leave it there i just had to get that in at some point <laughs> chefs what do you got for uh Dion waiters i mean eddie griffin is the clear runaway winner i mean the guy has so many lines i was literally writing down quotes and as i started i just literally put in one of my quotes every single eddie griffin line because <laughs> every one of his lines is so good so well delivered he just really 
every time he brings it, he's just draining threes all over the place. I, I just, I don't see how you can't pick him. His picture is there. When you look up comic relief in the dictionary, his picture is there. He's got the Miss Meal cramps. He's got the Slapahoe tribe, which again, I'm not sure that's something we should be laughing about, but it's in there. Um, that and how about, a how about, that I did not remember, and I started dying when I heard it this time. I just had not remembered it for so long. It's so funny. How about his outfit as well? I feel like he's like wearing all black and like a black leather jacket, which is like what I assume Eddie Griffin wears at all times anyway. So I like that as well. Also, also, what are we to presume? What happened to his fingers? What was wrong? Why was he in the emergency room that all of his fingers were just so bloody and that he was, what was going on there? He was he was into some shady shit. There's no question about that. I mean, I just I can't imagine having like four of your fingers just getting so ripped <laughs> up like that. It's bizarre. Um, I had a feeling you guys were both going to go Eddie Griffin just because I've known you for a long time and we've talked about this movie a lot. Um, I'm not giving it to Tum- Tuck Lampley, but I did just want to give the guy a nod. I mean, when you've got lines like "I've got bosses too" and uh, "This is my white Bronco." And then he kisses that nurse slash doctor on the mouth, presumably as like a reward for her providing a scoop. That's just remarkable uh, character work. What a flex, huh? (laughs) I'm giving it to Jimmy Palumbo. And honestly, I don't think it's that close. Um, Just every scene that he's in, he does something amazing. He he accompanies John to his uh, job interview and he punches the vending machine while he's there and starts yelling 50 cents. Um, when when he goes to the Little League game, he's just sitting there crushing beers while his <laughs> wife is, like, kissing his neck from behind him, and he's just, like, doesn't care at all. The only thing he says about the game itself is that the pitcher must be, like, 18 years old because he has a mustache. Um, then he gets interviewed by Tuck Lampley in a rare Dion versus Dion one-on-one <laughs> matchup. And he's the interview lasts about 45 seconds. And in those 45 seconds, he gives five separate amazing sound bites. He goes, uh, you know, just kind of talking about the plight of John Q and how this could be different. He says, if only his name was Rockefeller, uh, this might not have happened. He then says, you know, when it comes to America, you got your white collar, you got your blue collar and you got your no collar. He <laughs> says, you know, it's not about values. It's about value. He says... In that hospital, you've got surgery, you got your outpatient sur- surgery, and you got your out of luck surgery. And then finally, he wraps it all up by saying, it seems like something is out of whack, not someone. I just, it, he spoke in nothing but punny cliches for an entire 45 second interview. It was an unbelievable, he was in the game for like nine minutes, and dare I say, he scored like 16 points. On, on on five of five is that uh, is that even math? No, I guess you'd have to be six of six to get to, to get. Hey, he might have might have gone in the line. Hey, I, 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 his he, the the Dion versus Dion scene, him versus Tuck Lampley is epic, and I love it. I do like it's the an Tuck incredible Lampley interview. I do like the Tuck Lampley uh, white Bronco line, but is it crazy of me? I mean, he kind of Palumbo kind of got me in that scene, which now sounds so ridiculous. You naming all five of those at the time, I was kind of like, you know, wow makes right rises some raises some good points here completely agree and to be clear it still gets me i don't want this to come across as sarcastic at all it's amazing okay, stuff the white collar blue collar no collar line is is a very very good yeah. one and very well delivered <laughs> but right. i don't know eddie griffin just really i don't know for me 
I'm he's bleeding. just the most memorable character from this from besides Denzel in this movie. Um, half-assed internet research. Uh, apparently, right at the beginning, I mentioned it earlier. Uh, the scene where George Bush is uh, speaking on TV about healthcare uh, while they're you know lying in bed. Uh, apparently, that scene was also shot with footage of Al Gore because the election winner had not yet been declared at time oh, of shooting. Um, that is crazy. Another note, uh, this movie was shot uh, in provincial government buildings in Toronto, Ontario, um, right next to a hospital. And on at least one occasion, apparently, uh, filming blocked off access to the actual emergency room of the actual hospital. So that's that's good job uh, by <laughs> everyone involved there. Um John Q and his son's blood type is B positive, obviously an important uh, note in the film. This is the third most common blood type in the world, with around 8.5% of people having it. Um, when I was watching this movie, I, do you know what blood type you are? Because I have no idea. Also don't know. I don't know either. Aren't there only a, a handful? Aren't there only four or five blood types? Boy, when you talk okay. about something that I don't know the answer to. Know. Yeah. Okay. You got your, Let's move you on got your A, B. You got your B. You got your O. You got positives. You got negatives. You got stuff. There's there's a few. Um, they uh, they mentioned how SWAT team advisors for the film related a similar true incident in Toronto itself, uh, where a man took an ER hostage after it would not provide immediate service to his infant son on New Year's Eve, 1999. Um, for that gentleman, when he exited the ER. He was shot and killed, but found to be carrying an unloaded pellet gun. Um, and then in the, the last bit of uh, news that I found here, in the original script, John kills himself. What do we think about wow. that? I mean, how, how do we like that? one? Because I, I remember saying this when we walked out of the theater the first time. He's about to do it. First, he puts the gun to his head, clicks, the safety is on. So mm -hmm. that's like your first heart-stopping moment. Then, after that happens, that's when his wife calls him on the walkie-talkie. And instead of answering, he just click, turns it off. I kind of think at that point, you've already had the one scary thing, and then you're like, oh, thank goodness, we got to him in time. Once he turns that walkie-talkie off, I kind of think you gotta, you gotta go with it. You gotta let it Can happen. You I'm I'm now getting confused. I, you know, you've seen a movie so many times at different points. I know exactly what part you're talking about, obviously. But so when he turns the walkie-talkie off, do we see John again before he's pushing the cart? We we uh, because that part is that whole sequence of events is like uh, so it's like horrible. horrible he like that. He <laughs> turns the walkie-talkie off. Okay, right, and then you see him put the gun to his head and it like does a super close up of his eyes. Right. And then they cut to his wife running to the door and just pounding, you know, they've got, a, and then it cuts away and you know, you do not see him again until he's, he's, uh, you know, running with the table, you know, with the mask on and all that stuff. Right. I just yeah, think I, that would change the total tone of this whole movie. It would have been darker for the for worst. Sure. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think the way it ended, I think it got, it got its point and the struggle that John had to go to to get his kid's heart shows, you know, the flaws in the um, healthcare system in America. I don't think like him killing himself, you know, helps make that point or drive that point even further than uh, what the movie's already trying to say. 
I think that's fair. They weren't going for an Oscar here. They were ultimately going for what was <laughs> yeah, a relatively feel-good movie. I'm with you on that. Um, all right, we're 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 into. I guess let's do picking nits uh, before Apex Mountain. Um, number one, I'm just going to ask you this. Both, please, you know, don't look it up if you don't know the answer. Do you know where this movie um, is said to take place? I do know. Okay, Corey, do you know? I was literally thinking that as you were talking about where it was filmed, so I, I can't recall. Do you, that. do you have a Do you have a guess, Corey? Based on like my what guess, we see, my guess would be like Ohio. Peter, do you want to let everyone in on uh, on where this is said to take? The place? only reason I know it, it's Chicago is because of there's a scene in the of the skyline where you see the Sears Tower. Okay, and um, you do at the, some point the police cars say Chicago PD. I mean, this I don't look, remember that. This doesn't look anything like. I mean, they live. No, it doesn't. Their 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 baseball field is on like a farm. What on <laughs> earth are they? They clearly don't live in Chicago. That's just crazy. I don't know why they even decided to make it Chicago. They could have just made it somewhere. Yeah, in like you know suburban Ohio. Um, Toronto. Yeah, I don't, <laughs> I don't Toronto. think the setting of this movie outside of the hospital really matters. I think. I mean, unless it would have changed the the people inside and how they acted. But oh, agreed. It's just kind this of this movie could take place anywhere. It's just kind of bizarre. Um, another one. Um, Julie, uh, Mitch's girlfriend, does not go for the gun when it's on the floor. Um, you know when when Mitch attacks yes, him, instead going to uh, pepper spray Mitch and kick him. And everyone seems to like find this okay and funny and approve. That's pretty absurd. Um the timing of everything at the end, which we've already kind of touched on. Um, the fact that the word of the hostage situation doesn't like spread to the rest of the hospital a lot faster than it does is, is rather bizarre. And also <laughs> this is just a small one, but uh, when they, when they do perform the surgery at the end and all the doctors like start celebrating when it like the heart beats a couple of times, I doubt that heart surgeons are like <laughs> celebrating over an open chest just because of, of a few heartbeats there. Was there anything else obvious other than like obvious big things that we've already talked about? I had a, I had one or two quick things. Okay. Um, the, so James Woods and Anne Hayes, we can, uh, you know, talk, we could have talked about both of them in a few different, uh, scenes. Boy, I'm ready to talk about James Woods. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Anne Hayes is just as odd to me. They're both like, seem like the most heartless people in the world at the beginning of the movie, not just because, okay, the movie sets them up to be the decision maker of uh, whether or not Mike can stay in the hospital. Um, but the, the actual warmth or lack thereof that they both exhibit is so striking and so damning to both of their characters. And it's actually really odd because later they become redeemed as characters to a certain extent you start to have a little bit more of a respect for james woods but then there's that whole scene where um james woods is like kind of being a really corny doctor to the other um like the older man i believe that he's helping with a new heart um so just yeah james when it comes really pedophilia at the end and the nurse is like talking to him and he starts like rubbing her and then and then when the court scene He's like sitting with these random two girls. It's the most random, just, like. Just to be clear, they do thing. seem to be of age. <laughs> right. Now, yes. pedophile is probably not the right term, but I agree <laughs> maybe, with you. Corey. I meant maybe more like rapey, but like he just like 
is the guy like a creep or or is he bugging? Like, <laughs> I, well, now we have well, to put he, the explicit tag on this podcast. I, you know, I think he's just a guy who's successful, and uh, you know, he's he's his personal life, yeah, his personal life is no one's got business. Two, but his two own. girls by his side in the courtroom, you know. Just, well, uh, yeah, just. Back to, I guess, the, what I was originally saying about he, he and, and Heisha's character. Like, when they're talking, they're, they're f- only uh, just laying the news on uh, Denzel and uh, I believe her name's Kimberly Elise um, about Mike's condition. And he says something to the effect of, you need to face the facts that you need to make his remaining time comfortable day like months weeks or days and it's literally the first time that they even know something is like it is the doctor's job it is the doctor's job to get to the point i think in that first scene Anne heche i agree with you pure evil i think james woods is out there doing his job it's Anne heche's job to be more sympathetic i think okay i love peter i agree i love that like his diagnosis is like months weeks and he pauses days yeah it's very (laughs) dramatic for something that you know, he okay, he had an enlarged heart. They they do kind of touch on why you might not know that he had an enlarged heart because something with the healthcare system where uh they doctors pay their doctors have... not to test. Right. Uh the only other the only other I mean, we could do picking nits for quite a while quite a while. The only other one that I, I did note actually <laughs> as I was watching the movie, the crowd outside of the hospital and that whole part of the movie is so bizarre to me. Okay, there's a hostage scene in the hospital. There's no way there'd be like crowds of people, hundreds, thousands of people. It looks like outside of the doors to the uh, to the emergency room they within like seem- an hour. They can seemingly hear everything that's being said between the two parties. It, it that right, is they seem to be on John's side. Yeah, um, yeah. Just a couple, and we'll we'll we're, we are a little past the hour mark at this point, uh, so we'll move quickly here. Um, just a couple, just quick notes um, before we get into the final couple categories. This movie features two of maybe the saddest montages I've ever seen. Um, one where he's uh, just like doing filing paperwork to try to get an appeal for his health insurance, and that's turned into montage form. And then the next like one, the saddest song. Yes, And then the next one, he's collecting like six dollars at a time, and it's like you know he needs to build up to like what seventy five thousand to get to whatever percentage of the total cost, and he's getting. Like the waitress gives her like six dollars in tips, and he goes to the church and he gets like forty bucks. And I said, "Boy, this is this is not going to add up." Um, the, <laughs> you need to do something, John. Last nitpick: the window into the other hospital room, where we see someone who I don't even want to know what that poor girl dealt with, uh, being you know read her last rites and then uh, passing away. Why would there be a window into that room? That is just that is unpleasant. Yeah, that's definitely an important picking nit. We needed to mention that that whole, um, that just that whole aspect of healthcare seems yeah. very unlikely. Um, and just another nit. And, and, and it was also very sad. Yeah, it's more really than sad. more than a. And uh, yeah. going also, I mentioned how I like the blood pressure number. He's then well below that blood pressure number for like the last forty minutes of the movie, and he doesn't even die. So that doctor sort of lied about uh, how important that blood pressure number even was. Um, unanswerable questions. Uh, let's. I'll rip through a couple of these quick. Um, he seems to have gotten from church where he was dressed in a suit to the baseball field in time for his game when apparently the game started in 15 minutes. I don't know how that possibly happened. How did he do it? Um, <laughs> at the end of the movie, 
John is about to do three to five years and his family has no possessions. What is going to happen to his family? I, it's not going to be a good situation. Uh, is Robert Duvall terrible at his job? I think the answer Dude, is... I have that same question written down. He, he seems to just be escalating the situation at all times, which is the opposite of what a hostage negotiator is supposed to do. Um, I will just, uh, you know, would we've mentioned do something, John, as well as the other doctor saying, don't take no for an answer. Would John have done this if uh, these two people in his life did not, dare I say, push him to it? And the Wait, last... go back to Duvall for a second. Remember, yeah, yeah, there was a scene when him and Ray Liotta are negotiating over something, and Ray Liotta's like, I'll get you a steak. And then Duvall says, no, I just want pad thai or something. Peking like, duck. Peking duck. duck. <laughs> I was just like, this guy is taking uh, a lesser meal. What the hell? Like, he's trying to negotiate with, a, with the hostage right now? I don't know. Yeah, you, do you think that's a, an example of his poor negotiation skills, Corey? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, oh, that's a good the guy's trying. The guy's getting, you know, Peter. Think about it again: the Braga meat, nice, nice steak, or you're getting pad Thai, where you get barely any protein. It's not pad Thai. You keep, bring, you keep bringing duck. pad Thai. It has to nothing this to do with pad Thai. Peking duck is a great meal. I agree. If you want a great steak, go to debraga.com. You'll get yourself a great <laughs> steak. Uh, they have some duck as well. If you, whatever, if you want to turn it into Peking duck, that's I don't know about the preparation. That's not my job. Um, but that's, we're not uh, chefs. We're podcasters. Yeah, we're just podcasters. Um, last unanswerable question that I've got: What are the rules of that word game? <laughs> I still laugh every single time she says the word dashboard. It makes me laugh out loud every single time. What the hell are the rules? Why is You're- saying why is saying kunanen? Why is that a fun game to try to make someone guess the word continent? So I think you hit on it. It's not what are the rules. I think it's why is that fun? They're just mumbling. <laughs> it is hilarious. You have to admit that when she just says dashboard really fast, that is laugh out loud. Funny. The thing that's great is like it's exactly I think what I would have done if if put in that position. I would just say a word fast. I you know, I'm I'm looking for something around me to say. I would just say like keyboard. <laughs> we might need to play this uh this game the three of us over a zoom call after we conclude the I am sort of uh, surpri- taping of this i am sort of surprised we haven't um played it in the past um let's go COVID proof. <laughs> let's go to uh let's go to best quotes i've got a few here um and if you want to add any uh feel free um of course we've got i'm not going to bury my son my son is going to bury me uh, we've also got uh, John Q saying, my son is dying and I'm broke. If I don't qualify for Medicare, who the hell does? Um, we've already mentioned, um, John, you're my hero. Uh, we've already mentioned they are releasing him. Now you need to do something. Do you hear me? Do something. Uh, and the last one that I'm going to add in, uh, in that HMO conversation, uh, you've got James Woods, the doctor saying, uh, you know, finally having enough and saying, shut up, enough already. I've heard all the bitching and moaning I can stand for one day, all right? Look, if you want to regard me as some kind of blood-sucking vampire, then fine, great, I'll be the bad guy. But who's holding a fucking gun? What, uh, what, do, what do you guys want to add, or do you just want to go with one of those as your, well, as your vote? First of all, I think you might have a uh, second career as a James Wood uh, <laughs> act, act-alike uh, performer. Um, well, who, who's, uh, I'm forgetting his name now. John Q's like neighbor that he works with. Jimmy Palumbo. 
Jimmy Palumbo. I mean, all of the Jimmy Palumbo lines are incredible. Less gravitas, Um, but but certainly really good. I feel like we're missing a few Denzel ones that we even mentioned earlier. Um, earlier I have one uh, written down when he says, it's not goodbye, son. See you later. That's at the end. Um, When he's talking to the woman who can't speak English, she's only speaking Spanish, and he's pointing and he goes, you're infectional? (laughs) (laughs) Every time. (laughs) It's just like the most racist thing to say, like just say the word in English and add an O at the end. It's too good. Perhaps the entire quote of him really calmly talking to the woman on the phone and he tells her how to get to the other hospital. And he just, you know, I don't know what I would say if someone was like asking me how to get to my house or I just, I wouldn't be, but this guy's like, yeah, you just go down flower. You make the second left and you're, he, he was so confident. That's, that's a good line. What do you, Peter, what do you want to uh, vote for there? I'll vote for, I'm not going to bury my son. My son's going to bury me because while I, as previously noted, I love the, um, you know, my concession here. I love the do something John part. I also love the Eddie Griffin, you my hero line. But to me, those lines are both epic and great and are little nuggets that I love in the movie. But the movie is about Denzel and about John Q and his character. And to me, that is the the peak of his character in the movie is, uh, you know, his his uh, passionate soliloquies about his love for his son and, and uh, what he's willing to do to make sure he, he lives. Shaps, what's your vote? I com- I completely agree with Peter. I just want to give a shout out to two other yeah. Griffin lines that have already been mentioned, but I think deserve a nomination here. The first one is, point is, he's from the Slapaho tribe, and everybody knows it. I mean, that just, <laughs> just gets everybody me Everybody here knows it. <laughs> and, then, and then the other one that we also mentioned, more like the hypocritical ocean. <laughs> I mean, the way he delivers it is just it's just hall of fame but yeah i agree peter i mean the i'm not gonna bury my son my son's gonna bury me line and just that's that's the movie that that line is just it's it signifies you know everything the movie's about and just the intensity that he says it, it just really um you know demonstrates the high intensity and craziness it's, of it's pure denzel it's pure yeah all out intensity denzel. denzel at his finest two votes are going to carry the day uh so that'll be the winner. My vote is going to be for the James Woods quote for, for if nothing more than it's the only quote, maybe in the entire movie with like some complexity behind it. And you're like, Oh, there's like, there's shades of gray here. It's, it's not super clear who the good guy and who the bad guy actually is, which Peter, you wanted to touch on it earlier. Um, yeah. I mean, is there anyone that is, I guess E's character is a, is a good guy. Well, I guess most of the healthcare professionals in the movie seem to be, um, pretty good people and even hey we haven't really talked about Anne Heche listen she's just doing her job I mean what she said some of the numbers she's thrown out there she's not wrong I mean you know there are you know health healthcare costs a lot of money um they are already bending over backwards for for the Archibald family um and ultimately she does she does change her mind Corey Corey, did you know that Steve was related to Anne Heche It's hard to be a hospital administrator. I think it's pretty horrible when they lie to her and tell her they're going to give the kid a heart when they don't have one for him. And that's like no, she just said she's going to put the name on the list. Uh, yeah, but they had no intention of actually like trying to work with him. No, at that point, Anne Hage has put the name on the list. That's why when Robert Duvall is like, "Oh, I even almost believed you," and Anne Hage is like, "What are you right. talking about?" She right. okay. Yeah, she yeah, was yeah. all that's on true. board at that point. Honestly, maybe. <laughs> Annie had a point. 
That's the takeaway from this movie. I think she was the hero. Yeah, I, I, that HMO I, stink. <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to touch on quickly on uh, this. Is this is maybe my my final note that you know I don't know what other questions you have, Steve. But the one thing we haven't touched on in full yet that I wanted to get to is just Duval's character as Frank Grimes is at you know at first so likable and you seem like he, he seems like he's like the crusty negotiator that um put his ethics above uh climbing the career ladder like maybe leota did that's kind of the vibe he's giving off but towards the end of the movie there are a couple lines including that line to Haish, where he seems to flip into being kind of just a bad guy he's and, the worst yeah, guy he's the worst he, guy in the whole yeah movie. but he's so likable at first and he's also just the fact that his name's that his name is Frank Grimes and he's like, it's Duval at like such the crusty old guy part of his career. I just love his character so much. I think he's my favorite guy, uh, you know, favorite periphery non Denzel main character. Um, but yeah, the, the, uh, between him and Hey, Shrey Liotta, there's a lot of not great characters that you're not really sure, depending on what part of the movie it is, whether they're good or bad. Apex mountain. Uh, Kimberly Elise is, I would say, the only candidate, oh, yeah. and it's got to. I think it's got to be yes, but no one else. I don't even think is close. I mean, I would say Eddie Griffin if it weren't for Undercover Brother. Well, I mean, he's got a whole comedy career. I, I don't think that. I don't think you know the first line of Eddie Griffin's O bit is is going to mention the uh, the role in John Q. But uh, depends but, if one of us is writing it. <laughs> true. Well, if. If, if Corey or I, or I are writing it, it's going it's to be undercover, undercover brother. brother. That's for sure. Um, <laughs> final question. And I don't even know that we need to ask it, but who won the movie? Corey. I mean, you got to say Denzel. This is just a great Denzel performance. He just really brings it. I think he elevates the movie to another level. And whether, you know, even if he's overacting, I think it's done. Uh, with the Denzel charm that just makes this a really uh, special movie. And, uh, yeah, I think he's the easy winner. Pete? Yeah, I think it's, of course, Denzel. There are a couple other, you know, we touched on my love for Frank Grimes. Uh, there's, you know, Eddie Griffin. His uh, whole ethos in this movie is exceptional. There's also the other doctor, uh, the the female doctor who actually seems like one of the you know, she doesn't get a lot to do in the movie, but she's always doing the right and selfless thing. So she's up there. James Woods has to be up there for kind of just an overall powerhouse performance. He's always doing something outrageous or controversial or weird. But yes, it, it just has to be Denzel. Yeah, I'll keep my answer short. It's Denzel Washington. To the four of you still listening, um, stay safe out there. Uh, Corey, Peter, thank you very much. This has been a lot of fun. Take it easy, everybody. That concludes the Scoop and Score podcast. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. I award you no points and may God have mercy on your soul.